Welcome to the Diversity, Inclusion, and Belonging Teams podcast, Why Language Matters. This podcast is meant to explore words, their meaning, and how we can use language to be inclusive. 2020 quickly became the year of unprecedented events. What we've experienced in the last 12 months has been nothing short of traumatic, and it's natural to be feeling grief or loss right now. Grief for those that have been hurt or have passed away, loss for a life that we planned on living last year or even this year. With so many people in pain, we decided to dedicate this session to grief and loss. How we can talk about it, how we experience it, the different ways it can manifest itself, and how we can help others who are in the grieving process. I'm Nicole Doyle. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I have, unfortunately, a lot of experience with friends and people that I know who have been young and who have passed, either tragically from hit and runs, cancer, or even their decision to take their own life. And it never gets easier. And it's always good to talk about it. And so I'm really glad that we're doing this episode so that we can all have this conversation about our own experiences and really, you know, how to help others through this process. I'm Hillary Brown. My pronouns are she, her, hers. By the grace of some higher power, I haven't yet lost a close friend or family member. However, in the last few years, I've had an inordinate amount of close friends lose a parent. At times, and I'm ashamed to admit, I have frozen in the face of their grief. I'm happy to be a part of this conversation today to learn about my colleagues' experiences with loss and grief and to hear about how I can become a more solid shoulder to lean on. Hello, my name's Badiana Badio. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. I'm a sales leader. I have fortunately not been someone who's experienced a lot of grief or loss in regards to people that are very close to me. But if this pandemic taught me anything, it showed me how life can change in a minute. My mom had COVID. It was one of the scariest moments of my life. And it really uh, solidified that my parents, who I kind of felt were immortal, are going to one day not be here with me. And although they're healthy and well now, I have to start coming to terms with the fact that they're aging and that their personalities and bodies are going to be different as time continues to move forward. I want to be able to prepare myself as much as I can for that, as well as be able to support others while they deal with grief and loss. My name is Blue Real, and I'm the senior sales trainer of the Southwest and Northwest and Hawaii field sales region of the business. My pronouns are she, her, and hers. And also really glad to be addressing this very important topic. You know, I've experienced these things firsthand, but also acknowledge that I've been extremely fortunate. So looking forward to the conversation today and just making this not a taboo topic for a place to discuss with your your coworkers who are really like, at times, an extended arm of your family. Lucas Wilcox here. Pronouns is he, him, and his. I'm a system administrator for the core services team here at Sunrun. I'm happy that I got asked to be here because this is a big subject for me. I've been dealing with this since high school, leading till today, where I lost somebody just recently, two weeks ago. And it's, it's a big subject. 
I believe in sharing my experiences and hearing other people's experiences just to help better understand mine and maybe help someone better understand theirs. I don't know if I have the answers, but I know I have my perspective. Thank you, everybody. Maybe we can start off with exploring the kinds of losses that we feel. And I found this article that talks about how we can grieve actual loss and we can grieve a symbolic loss. The actual loss would be things like you miss that person being next to you. You miss going to the movies or doing your routines. You miss sharing laughter, all of those very tangible things that you had done, all, all the experiences that you had with the person that you've lost or you know, whatever else it is that you've lost. It could be a career, it could be a job, it could be a pet. And then there's this thing called symbolic loss, which I never thought about before. And it's the loss of events that have yet to come. For me, when I think about the loss, specifically the people that I've lost, it's, you know, if if I lose a grandparent and they had poor health, you know, there's almost some relief in that. Like, yes, you miss them and you miss your experiences that you had together and you want them to be by your side. But there's almost that relief of they're no longer in pain. I had time to prepare for this. We knew it was coming sort of thing. I mean, death is part of life. And what I've noticed with my friends who had passed away at a younger age, there's a lot more symbolic loss that I have. You know, we had plans to go do this. We're never going to be able to do that again. We're never going to be able to hang out and chat again. They were so young, you know, maybe maybe it was in their future to have kids and th- those kids will never be born or, you know, life events, that person will never get married. That really struck me, those different kinds of losses and you know, how we've lost somebody and that sort of emotion that we go through. And I'm curious if you have any experience with this symbolic loss. I had a good friend I lost in high school. We did a lot of things together, rode dirt bikes all the time. And that's how I lost him. I lost him in a dirt biking accident. And ever since then, it's always there, that dirt bike, you know, and that dirt bike is always a symbol now of a person that I lost. It was hard for me to go back to that for a long time. It was just that symbol of him. I remember his dirt bike. I remember, I remember his dirt bike, what it looked like afterwards. And that image was kind of ingrained in my, my mind for a while. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense with this and resonates with me. I think the symbolic loss, I'm glad you mentioned this, because as I was reflecting a little bit on this topic, I was thinking about the pain of actual loss, but I find myself more currently almost like getting a bit paralyzed with a fear of loss. And what I mean by that is, you know, I'm at a chapter in life where my parents, they're getting older and the nature of life as we get older, you know, you things happen and you lose people and tragedies occur and you're exposed to more of that. It's a very strange, unsettling feeling. And particularly during the climate right now with COVID and probably more uncertainty than I've ever experienced in my lifetime, I find myself really fearing almost a symbolic loss, if that makes sense, like a fearing of future symbolic loss. 
And, you know, within the last four years, both of my parents have been initially diagnosed and gone through cancer treatment. I have a brother who's a year younger than I, and he has two kids. And I see how great they are being grandparents and that experience and that relationship. And I do want a family, but I, I don't have kids yet. I want to experience what I see and how great they are with those little grandbabies. And I want to have that. And I just also know that I can't compare myself, but going back to the symbolic loss, I sometimes get a bit sad and on this like potential grief or loss I could feel. It puts me in a very challenging mental state at times, emotional state, because on top of that, there is actual loss that we're experiencing as well. I find myself actually grappling with that, if not more, at least equally as much as, as actual loss right now. You kind of made me think about it, Bree, is probably my biggest thing I deal with is the loss of my father. About 2015, I lost him. The symbolic thought of head of the household, the symbol of a man, you know, to me, he was just like what I wanted to be. And then what I wanted to show him, what I wanted to be. I know he sees it. That's how I see it now, that he still sees, you know, the symbol that I'm going to become to other people, just like how he became this person to me. He was just a, the biggest symbol in my life and uh, still is today. It's still a long process, six years now going, that I'm still coming to terms with it. It's a forever process. I don't think it's a, a little process. So yeah, more than anything, the actual loss is there, but the symbolic thing is what travels with me. It keeps stays with me. It's that luggage that's always going to be with me. I'm grateful for it too, to be honest. And that's the thing. I'm happy about these emotions that it brings out of me. Sad, the anger, all of them. It shows me how much I care about him and how much that symbol he was to me in my life and continues to be. It's, it's, a, it's a good thing and a bad. And I try to focus on the good, you know. Lucas, I appreciate you saying that at times you like what it brings up in you, the sad and the angry and you're embracing those emotions. And I think that's a really important part of grief is you can't ignore it. You have to go through these motions and it's not linear. It comes in waves and you just, sometimes you just have to ride that wave. So I appreciate that you have that perspective on it. My brother told me that they're like neighbors, these emotions that we have, they're neighbors that we have to live with, kind of have to get along with. I haven't shared this with pretty much anyone. Currently, I am trying to conceive. I don't talk about it with people because it feels like a private subject. And our first month, we experienced what they call a chemical pregnancy, which is common because I have a reproductive condition. And that is common for people who have my condition, which is endometriosis. And it's a miscarriage. It didn't even feel real to me, like till this moment, till we have this conversation, till you mentioned symbolic loss, it hasn't really like registered. I think the symbolic loss is what women feel like. That's tough. I can imagine all of the the thoughts, you know, of planning a life, you know, a whole, a whole human life and having that taken away. I'm so sorry to hear that, Bodiana, and really feel privileged that 
felt open enough to share that with us because you're right it is a very personal intimate piece of us and you know I think particularly at Sunrun the company's a bit unique in that our general demographic includes a fair amount of employees that are right around this sort of chapter of life that big crossroads of milestones and I just again really feel privileged that you felt open enough to share that with us because you know I've I've experienced some really close friends and family that have gone through loss like that and being particularly like the body on a being in a leadership position where you feel like as a woman you have to put on an extra sort of front of objectivity we're making progress I think but it's still not an extremely comfortable place to fully disclose your true feminine side because we have to be strong and we have to be assertive and we have to be direct and we have to be respected and so when you're dealing with some sort of personal loss like that, I can only imagine how to balance that as a woman. And then on the flip side, I wonder what it would be like for a man too, who is equally infected, but in a different way and has to also accept that this didn't happen to them physically, but it did happen to them just as emotionally. As much as we want to separate and be the best we can and compartmentalize so that we can come to work and we can focus on the task at hand, Sometimes it's just really, there's no real way to to fully be able to accomplish that. It's too tough. Earlier, you said, Brie, that talking about grief and loss is typically a taboo topic, you know, in Western culture. And particularly, I think, miscarriages. I mean, I've never had conversations with my female friends about a miscarriage. And it's like, Shouldn't that be something that is safe within the, at least the women's circle to talk about, you know, but it is very taboo. And it's unfortunate that we can't have those healing conversations with people because we think, you know, somebody might think differently of us. And then to your point about not bringing these things into work, particularly with grief and loss, that's something that consume you for months or years. And that is part of you as much as having the knowledge to just do your job. And it's not something that we can just check at the door, leave that at the door, leave it at home. You know, we have to be able to bring our full selves to work. In my previous life, I was a bartender. (laughs) That's That's how I paid for school. And luckily for that job, I was good at it. And, and, and I didn't really have to think about doing the job. Like you just kind of go through the motions. I was fortunate enough to have that kind of job, but I was putting myself through school and I was going to school full time. And so, you know, as I was dealing with the pain of one of my friends taking their own life, and then three weeks later, another friend taking their life, and then a month later, another friend in that same circle dying of cancer, I had to take a compassionate withdrawal from all of my courses because colleges recognize that you can go through something so traumatic that you can't check it at the door and you can't fully go on with your normal everyday life and just act as if nothing happened. We lost a dear member of the training team and he was tragically taken too soon by a drunk driver in a head-on collision. And our director called us and she was actually supposed to have a PTO. And so I'm thinking, yeah, maybe she's just, you know, grinded away 
still working and it just blindsided us, all of us, to get this call. And thankfully, it was something that we did address as a team together and found a way to mourn individually and as a team. But as a couple of weeks went by, you know, again, everyone processes things differently and we do need to continue to move forward. But I just found myself sitting through some of these meetings like, are we just going to act like nothing happened? Are we just going to, okay, we addressed it and now we just don't talk about it anymore? You know, it's just a realization of, again, this balance and everybody processing differently and moving forward. But it was very odd. And even still today, you know, I think like, let's not, let's not forget him. Let's not forget that person. Last week, lost somebody from the service desk who I work closely with. We did talk about it during a meeting and we were open. And I thank my team so much for being who they are. You know, this is something I do is I start to see people, people start moving along and I see that and I'm like, why am I not moving along? Well, they could be still struggling like I am internally, but not showing and just moving along. And they're really good at hiding it. I don't know. But I know that I'm struggling in meetings and calls. I will lose track. You know, I, I someone's talking and then I lose track because some reason my brain wants to go to Ben and I just want to go. You know, I just want to go to him. That's all. That's why I believe in sharing. I'm probably uh, guilty for sharing too much sometimes. I'm just way too open of a book. I never close the book. I let everybody just walk by and look into it. But I enjoy sharing because it feels so good after. It feels so good after. I've been calling my brothers every day right now just to talk about an hour. And every time I get off and I'm just good, I feel good. And even my team, you know, I, I let them know as soon as I start having some trouble. Because, you know, like I said before, all these other emotions start coming out because I'm trying to keep my day going. So I get angry, I get sad, I get frustrated, whatever. And um, I want to let them know what's going on with me. From one person's mind to the next, I just, I try to empathize and put myself in everybody's shoes. And I just want everyone to know that I'm okay too. I think that's another thing too, is that we worry about the people that are hurt. I worry about the people that are hurt from their loss a lot. When we talk about people who take their lives, and like, I just lost another friend. Literally, after you asked me, Nicole, to come on this, later that day, I found out someone, what a friend took their life, who was in the same friend group as Ben. It's a thing that I believe in just sharing almost as quick as you can, too. And I want other people to keep sharing as much as they can, as often as they can. What I noticed, Lucas, is that when you go through some of these profound losses and you reach out to the people that can be there for you there is some not just benefit in you taking care of yourself and you taking that step to reach out to people and making sure you're okay but i found that one positive thing that comes about is those other friendships can get stronger as an outcome of a tragic event like this you guys were talking about like, you know, I feel, I feel anger. I feel this and that. And when I had found out that she had taken her life, 
first of all, I flashed back to a day where, you know, you're a bartender, you close down the bar, you get done about, you know, three, four, five o'clock in the morning, depending on the night and how busy it was, how much there is to clean up. Bartenders typically won't have eaten for 12 to 15 hours because they're on their shift. So after we were, we would always go to Denny's eat together. And I recall looking across the table at Sarah and she had a look in her eye and I knew something was wrong. And I thought to myself, I should reach out. You know, I I need to hang out with this rad chick more. And I didn't, I was in school full time. I was working full time. We had different schedules. And so when I heard that she had taken her life, I was so pissed, not just at myself, but at her, you know, why didn't you call me? Like, why didn't you, why didn't you reach out? Why didn't you say something? I felt a tremendous amount of guilt for not saying anything as if I could have done anything about it. And after that, a lot of the female bartenders, we were all good friends. You know, we would go out together. We'd hang out together. We'd call each other, joke around with each other, work the same shifts. But we started reaching out to each other and we implemented this plan. If anybody needs anything, send a group text. One of us will be there. We had this chain of you check up on this person and that person checks up on this person. And it was like this circle of five women. And we all checked in with each other every single day. If somebody didn't check in, we we would all get over to that person's house and just be there. And we could talk about Sarah. We could talk about something else. We could sit there in silence. We could watch a movie. My relationship with those ladies has, it's forever now. It's forever. They're my family. You know, even though you go through these traumatic events and while you'll still grieve that loss of that person probably forever as well, there's also tremendous value in reaching out to your support system and letting them be there for you. I mentioned a little earlier about some of the challenges about being female in the workplace and having to sort of check your emotions at the door so that you can be direct and strong and assertive and all those other adjectives. But I was just thinking on the flip side, traditionally, it's been more socially acceptable to talk about those types of things with an inner circle of of your girlfriend. One of the things that Lucas is saying that he does, it's really important for men to know that it's just as acceptable and should be happening, whether it's in smaller circle, larger circle, just maybe it takes shape and form in different ways, but that it just can happen, that it's still acceptable. I don't think that we've lost 100% that stigma in our culture yet. And it's just as equally important that everybody is able to feel like they can talk about this. The other thing that struck me when you were sharing that story, Nicole, is just that I'm kind of like you, Lucas. I have to sometimes check myself Am I just feeling or am I overdwelling in this to almost my detriment? And so I've been trying to think like, what positive things can I learn from this? And that's hard to do, even though people say, well, find the positive in everything. Easier said than done. And I guess the one thing that I can say in talking with you all, it really does go true to the cliche saying that as you get 
older or you have more life experiences, your tolerance for those in your inner circle that you really want to spend the time with to invest in just becomes smaller because you realize how precious life is and you don't want to waste it. And so it's definitely healthy in the sense of perspective and just a consistent and constant reminder for me to like put things in perspective, focus on the people that care about you, that you care about. And it's a little bit of a morbid way to have to learn that lesson, (laughs) but it is one of the things that I've tried to focus on as a positive to be able to move forward. My brother-in-law right now, his dad is in the hospital, liver failure. We don't know how much time, you know, what's happening right now. My brother texted me and told me, hey, I'm getting you on a group chat with little Brett, my brother-in-law. And it was like, we need to talk to him. Like, we need to all talk with him. And we pretty much are just telling him how much we love him and how he's a, now like Wilson or Wilcox, it doesn't matter. You're a brother. I know you want to be tough and stuff, but we're all spread out through the U.S. So wherever you land, you have a bed to sleep in and all that. And just being there for him as much as we can, knowing the pain that he's going through from ourselves, losing our father, but we're trying to be there for him. And it's the, the constant checking up, like you were saying, like the group chat, where we just want to check in with these people that we care about and just make sure they're good and know, know that we're here. That's like the biggest thing. It's just that we're here and we were thinking about you. I'm not going to be there physically, but in spirit, I'm right there with you. You know, we throw some jokes in there and make them laugh. And, you know, it's easy to get into be a Wilcox, but it's hard to get out. And that's a big thing about my family is that we have to find the humor in it. I know it's hard. It's hard to find humor and grief and loss. It might not help everybody. I understand. It's not a funny thing. But in my family, we find something. You have to find the thing that might help you. Yeah, I relate to that. At my grandpa's funeral, all of his grandchildren had to sing a parody in the church in the middle of the funeral. So yeah, it's definitely a, a tenant of my family as well. We have a thing in my family for being late to everything. So at his funeral, we didn't really have a funeral. It was more of a party more than a funeral because my dad was just that kind of guy. We, he was late to his own funeral. We made my dad late. We told my mom we, that she was going to show up late. So uh, everyone else got there and where, where's dad? And he, he's coming. He's coming. <laughs> no. So we, we have fun because it's crying or laughing sometimes. And then sometimes laughing is just better. Agreed. We just started this process. So it's all really fresh. So I think my approach was like, okay, I expected this. The doctors told me this is something that can happen to you. So I didn't feel like it was the same as other women who went to ultrasounds and started this process. and started building an attachment to this fetus. I hadn't gotten to that point yet. So I've kind of minimized its impact a lot. (laughs) And I think a part of that was also just because this is such a new journey for us. I didn't want this journey to be clouded in sorrow and sadness and loss. It's a, it's exciting time for us. This is a happy moment. So we did a ritual, my husband made me soup and like we lit a candle and just talked about it. Because he knew that I was kind of just trying to brush it under the rug to be strong and, you know, be able to maintain and continue to keep things moving. But I want to keep this joyful. This is a really 
special time for us. So I want to make it as happy as possible. So yeah, we experience this loss, but that doesn't mean it's going to be the great cloud that ruins the potential of what's going to happen in the future. I really admire your attitude on that. Again, I can only fathom and sympathize having some other dear friends and family close that have experienced loss. But I think too, Boniana, you mentioned something and it's, you know, we don't want to cloud, whether it's your experience or you know, cloud it with sadness. And going back to like symbolic loss, I almost feel guilt a little bit for feeling like symbolic loss or even actual loss because with what's going on right now, and again, just as you get older and you're exposed to just so much more, I almost feel a little bit guilty, like I shouldn't feel so down or I shouldn't feel so like, well, there's a lot more people that have it worse off than I do and to just be grateful. And so it sort of convolutes my feelings of it's acceptable to feel these things, but also, you know, a little bit guilty, like I shouldn't feel so down about this because there are a lot of other people in tougher spots than I am. But on the flip side, it's our own how we're feeling. and and that's, that's okay. It's just sometimes hard to feel like it's fully okay because we're just constantly, or I feel like I've been constantly reminded of how blessed and fortunate I am. And so it makes it harder to grieve sometimes, if that makes sense. Kind of a weird juxtaposition to, yeah. to be in. I think right now with obviously the pandemic and we're being inundated with this number that keeps ticking up of loss and we're trying to process trauma as it's happening. Like we're in a traumatic event right now and it's a really extended traumatic event and we need to allow ourselves to feel down when we can, but then also to realize when we're having these toxic behaviors and these patterns, how to pull ourselves out of it. And, you know, you can't diminish your own grief, your own loss, just because someone else has it worse than you. You have to stay true to what you're feeling. But yeah, I can't really imagine compounding this trauma that we're all feeling with grief from a personal loss. It's just, it's too much for anyone to handle. So you have to reach out to your support systems. Absolutely. I've had some friends during COVID time who their personal relationships with their significant others have fallen up through or have ended. And, you know, I guess to your point, like, I'm like, reach out, you know, it's okay. Like, I won't deem it petty. It's your loss. It is a loss. And, you know, they're like, well, I know everyone else is going through a lot more than I am right now, or, you know, nobody died. And I'm like, but it is a a death in a way. So like, it's okay. You know, I won't judge you for feeling torn up about it or feeling devastated by it, even though it wasn't a mortal loss. It's still, you know, reach out. Don't feel afraid to do that and don't feel afraid to talk about it. And you won't sound selfish, I promise. (laughs) Let's talk about some ways that, you know, maybe somebody doesn't quite know how to support their friend or family member who's going through the grieving process. And so maybe we can talk about what's worked for us, what we've used in the past. Obviously, everybody's different. So this is never going to be a one size fits all approach. So Something happened to me yesterday that actually just helped a lot. I was at the dog park and hanging out and uh, someone there who I talk to regularly, I haven't seen him in a little bit and we talked for a while and I just happened to open up about losing a friend. They inst- I inst- I just went to going 
hey, can I get can we get your number? And they kind of did it later in the conversation, not to make it feel like instantly, but they asked for my number and then said that, you know, we'll text you whenever we come out to the park and we should do this more. Instead of asking me to say, hey, text me when you come out to the park, because um, I wouldn't do that. I just, I just wouldn't. I don't like to bring people into it unless you're there, honestly, unless you're like, you're there in front of me, then I'll share, but I won't go out of my way to go find you. It threw me off. I got nervous and I felt like I didn't know what to do because it was just a, it was a nice gesture and I just don't know how to take nice gestures sometimes. So I, I shut my mouth and shook my head and said, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but internally I was really excited just to, someone would do that just takes the burden off of me and stuff that I'm trying to help myself. And uh, I have to do some legwork. Honestly, you don't really want to do too much legwork whenever you're hurting. You just only talk to who talks to you. So if you see somebody having a hard time, you know, just make the effort to talk to them. I love that, Lucas, that it's not necessarily needing to be so heavy that like, oh my God, my friend's going through this and I don't know how to help them. And you feel like you almost have to be like a therapist or an expert or do all of the right things and say all of the right things. But that makes it so much easier to just say like, no, you could just call me and we could talk about whatever. I I may not even want to talk about it, but just knowing that my friend is there. I know my brother is the same way. And he was going through a really tough time with some mental health issues where I knew that I needed to be there for him. And he wouldn't reply to me, you know, he lives in a different state than I do and he wouldn't reply. And it was the scariest thing in the world. I'd have to, you know, guess at, you know, is he alive? Is he okay? But I would just keep texting him no matter what, like with memes or (laughs) a funny article or whatever it was. And there was a point where he wasn't responding for like months And I just started typing in a space and then sending it to him like, hey, guess what, bud? You're not getting rid of me. (laughs) You can ignore me all you want, but you're not getting rid of me. I will bother you forever. And he came around and he did tell me, you know, don't stop doing that because it really, really helps. I may not respond. I may not engage in the conversation, but I know that there's somebody there and it helps a lot. It truly does. It truly does. I ignore people today still. I mean, I have some phone calls. I still need to call back, but I just, you know, I'm having a hard time talking about it. Yeah, I think this one's really hard for me because I try and just really respect everybody processes things differently. It's been like ingrained in me since I don't know when, and I don't even know exactly from who, but it's, it's really hard to know what the right way is to be there for someone one of the things I guess that I've learned because I personally really don't like when people tell me this is I try and avoid the word should. You know, you should do this, you should feel that, or you should do this, or you know what you should do. I think there's actually a, a Sex in the City episode where it's like, should we stop shooting all over ourselves? But outside of that, I mean, it's still something that I struggle with, especially when you haven't personally gone through what that person is going through. To not come across as like, you know, hey, I know what it's like when you really don't, but you still want to be there for them. So, you know, I haven't found any tried and true that works for all, but I have found that, you know, the word should, I try to avoid at all costs. 
because what do I know? You know, what do I know what they should do? Outside of that, I guess, just being there, demonstrating in some shape or form that you are there. They're not ready to reach back at this time. They will. And they find maybe some comfort on the other end, knowing that someone is there and thinking of them. I want to thank our guests for sharing their personal experiences. It's not always easy to be vulnerable like this, so we appreciate you being with us today. We touched on a lot of complex and difficult topics, and it's important to know that there are people and resources out there to help you or anyone you know who may be impacted by grief and loss. If you are a Sunrun employee and need help finding resources available to you, please reach out to your direct manager and or business partner as soon as possible. You can find additional resources on One Sunrun as well. If you live inside the U.S. and are in a crisis or think you may have an emergency, call your doctor or 911 immediately. If you are having suicidal thoughts, call 1-800-273-TALK to talk to a skilled, trained counselor at a crisis center in your area at any time. If you are located outside of the United States, call your local emergency line immediately. 